0: Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Welcome to my new backyard. Zoom has given us all of these wonderful backyards and I've decided to play with it a little bit. My guest today said, oh, let's have some fun. And Todd Wheeler is our guest today and you can see him sitting here right next to me in front of our fireplace. But I do think we have something very special to help you with. Remember, my job as your host and your guide is to help you get off the brink, to soar, and during these fast-changing times, I want to bring you people who are going to help you see, feel, and think in new ways, so you can, in fact, adopt some new changes and make them happen. The hardest part is saying, how do I do that? What do I do? And we don't ever want to waste a crisis, and this certainly has been an unexpected one of great proportions. So, with that in mind, let me tell you a little bit about Todd and why our audience is so excited about hearing him, and then he's going to tell you about himself, like we always like to do, because in his story is the journey that I want to share, because it is has all kinds of insights for you as you think about your own journey. And we live our journeys. So Todd, I met through a presentation I did for Vistage um, on the climb, and he came back to me and said, let's talk, let's meet, let me share with you what I do. He's laughing, but that's how you meet people today. It's all virtual. I think he's my best friend. It's virtual. But it's very interesting because we share a whole lot in how we have come to help others do better. So he brings talented people together who connect, communicate, and care. And that's what he wants to do. He starts by building trust, which deepens over time. And he works with organizations and the people inside to help them do better, like we're going to talk about today. So he loves to coach the coachable, the humble, the hungry, lifelong learners. He listens. And you know I'm a big preacher of listening with an open mind so you can hear new things. But he listens intently without distraction his whole self and to your whole self. So you can do that today as well. It's a really good lesson. But he does this to help you do better, whether it's a small or a large company. And some of the folks said, I really do love the fact he builds bridges, not walls. And boy, were we lucky to have Todd come in and help us at just the right time. Todd, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Well, and you look really great in front of my fireplace. So thank you (laughs) for indulging us in this game. Um, Your journey. Talk about who is Todd and how did you come to where you are now? Give the listener your story. So, they can begin to see how they too can begin to change their own story. Cause I think yours has been a life of transformation. Am I right? Absolutely. The interesting
1: thing, Andy, is I started out in the coaching world in the late 60s and it was quite accidental. I was was a teenager and many of my friends and their families, specifically parents of my friends, would ask me how I had such a good relationship. And had such open communication with my mom. Single mom raised me by herself. And I, at the time, I had no idea how to answer that question. So I started looking into it by asking my mom and saying, well, what what is it that differentiates us? And of course, we had our own little (laughs) cocoon. We didn't know how other families were. But what my mom said to me at the time was, maybe it's just because we can talk about things. I mean, everything that your typical teenage boy doesn't talk about with their mom, I talked about with my mom. (laughs) And it just helped to be able to peel back those layers and get a deeper understanding of it from a very naive perspective when people would ask me how I had such a good relationship. And I would go back to them after a while and say, I think it's communication. I think it's not being afraid, being able to tell the truth, and knowing somebody is there who is." much older than you, is always on your side, and happens to love you. I mean, a lot of kids rebel against their parents. Oh, you don't know what's best for me. In a lot of cases, they really do, especially if you've had a good communication with them. So from my perspective, it really was about building that whole level of being comfortable with truth-telling. And in my history, sometimes I, I, what I used to say is when I would find out Something about somebody intuitively, because it came from the heart, and I would just listen. I would say, Here, I know about this. And now I go, Oh, now I know about this. And if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it when you're ready, rather than dump it in on somebody and throw it in their face. I like confrontation if it's supportive, not if it's just for the sake of confrontation. And many people are afraid of confrontation because there are many kinds of confrontation. As you know, and we've talked about this. I have a a very simple motto, and the motto is, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's always nice to have a plan or have somebody who's been down the road before. I've coached large companies. I've coached small companies. I've coached startups. I've coached uh, complex organizations. And it all comes down to people. So regardless of how complex something really is, it really comes down to people. And people are a very, you know, people are an enigma. And, and some people like people, and some people don't like people. I'm fascinated by people. That's And when I called you originally, it wasn't even the content of what you talked about. It was who you were that made me interested. Because what got me into the organizational development realm was I was working, I was recruited in the early 90s, mid-90s by an organization and they called themselves cultural anthropologists. I hadn't heard that word used in 20 years. And you (laughs) put those two words together and I said, I want to talk to this girl, woman, sorry. I want to talk to this person, right? (laughs) So that's kind of it. So then I've I've built companies, I've sold companies, I've I sold one company to a Fortune 500 company, and I've closed organizations. One of the best things that our that our friend Tony Robbins says is don't take advice from somebody who hasn't failed. Mm-hmm. And it's very very important to know that the person has gone through enough that they could maybe really help you because they have gone in fact through some trials and some tribulations. So that that's really the the path. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about today, which have been, I've been thinking about this this week. Go for it. I have come up with an idea that I call the orchestra metaphor. When we are born, we are one single beautiful pure note. And as we grow, the moment we come out of the womb, as we grow, we start to get different notes. We start to be that one instrument and we master that instrument, but we also have all of these different notes and chords and tones, and so we become a very complex single instrument. As we go out into the world, we blend our instrument with other people. I mean, when you think of an orchestra, imagine how difficult it is when they bring in a new lead violinist. Even if you've got the sheet music, they have to understand that whole Complexity of the the song or the orchestra, whatever they're playing. So to blend them together is very challenging. I I came up with this theory because when I was again just after high school, I would have friends ask me about relationships, and I'm not a relationship coach, but I'm a relationship coach, (laughs) and and, I I just get thrown into it. And if I like the idea, if it has to do with humanity, I really, really am interested in it. So. As we grow, everybody else around us is a very complex orchestra. So when we're thrown into an organization, when we're thrown into other people and other businesses, different cultures and different structures, how things are put together and how things work, we now have to blend our very complex orchestra with a second orchestra. Now, imagine how hard it is if we're just trying to blend one instrument. It's really challenging when we're trying to blend two orchestras together. So to understand some of these ideas and take this down to its basics and understand what's important, what's not important, what we need to do now, what we can wait with, how we prioritize, I think is a critical, critical issue for us in this ever complicated world. And it's getting more complex and more complex and more complex. The difference to me in complicated and complex is complicated is building an airplane. Complex is running an airline. I mean, all of these different things are so much and so many variables that come into play that you really don't know what to do all of the time. You and I have talked about my process, which goes from discovery to priority to focus to plan to execution. One of the things I find we often miss out on is that prioritization stage. We've been told our whole lives, I was told my whole life, put a plan together. Put a, I've started for three, well, three or four companies, some more successful than others. <laughs> um, and everybody always told me, put a plan together, put a plan together. 60% of all businesses still fail in the first five years. <laughs> and the fact they don't tell you often is that 60% of the ones that survive fail in the next five years. They're either completely shut down, they're bought out, they've lost for some reason. And I think it has a lot to do with the inability to prioritize. People have been told, put a plan together, come up with an idea, put a plan together. You need to know who needs to do what with whom by when. If you look back at Michael Gerber's work in the E-Myth, there's so many hats we all wear. But you need to first understand those hats. Now we need to understand which are the most important And then now that we know what's the most important, now we can focus. Everybody focuses, but they all focus on the wrong. (laughs) I mean, I see a lot of people focusing on the wrong things.
0: Let me ask you a question, though. If you're going to use your metaphor. Who's the conductor or is this an a cappella group that plays by itself and hopes that they know the music and can build enough collaboration to make it come alive? Because the conductors have an important role to play in those orchestras that are complex and um, they want to make it sound as if the music is simply coming out of them.
1: Okay. So whose life is it anyway? (laughs) I mean, I, I don't mean to answer a question with a question, but it really depends on the situation. If you're working yourself into an organization, it is critical that you understand the workings of that organization. Yes. I look at culture and structure, mm-hmm. and I, as you know, I was laughed out of boardrooms in the 90s trying to bring culture to the discussion. They People would look at me and say, Uh, We don't care if they don't want to work here. We fire them. We find somebody else. No big deal. Well, except for recruiting and training and onboarding and getting – I mean, it's just people didn't understand it, (laughs) frankly. Um, So it really depends. Are you on a team? Are you leading a team? Where are you in that – organizational perspective. If you're coming in as being hired as a CEO, you need to go to your people. I remember when um, Tom Watson took over IBM and he gets in front of the whole organization, and I read about this. I wasn't there when this happened. I read about this, and he comes up and he goes, I don't know how to run this company. I need your help and understanding what you need so I can help you do it the best possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We all know the history of that. It just turned everything around and turned everybody on. And that was all fascinating. And it's kind of opposite of the Jack Welsh who comes in, you're going to do it my way and we're going to make it work and we're going to fire the bottom 10%. Blah, 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 blah. But he also made it work. So I guess to give you a flippant answer, it really depends. In your life, you're the, I mean, we look at, uh, is it and Brower? He said, it's your movie you've got to make your you're the director, you're the writer, you're the screenwriter, you've written the play, you've got to get it transformed. How do we do that? So I think when you're looking at your life from a personal perspective, you are the conductor. When you're working with an organization, you have to understand you sometimes are the conductor, sometimes you're the one who's the navigator, sometimes you're the
0: co-pilot. Well, you know with that as a metaphor, uh, and an image that's very um, uh, alive. I mean, I can really see us coming into a new place. I was EVP of the bank. And when I arrived, I could feel the eyes all wondering, who is she and how will she relate to us and humans? You know, all of our days are spent in conversation. And in trying to figure out, you know, what is it that's expected? How well have I performed? Do I have a job tomorrow? Most people work to make a living. Fewer people live to work. And so it becomes important for us to think about in these fast changing times, who, who are we in relation to the others? And what kind of a fashion do we want to you know, perform in, particularly with virtual? Because in virtuality, you don't see people like you used to. You can't get to know them with the intuitive intensity, at least in among some of my clients. On the other hand, I must tell you, I've had more new friends come out of this pandemic virtual that I've never met. And we meet monthly and we talk and we talk deep thoughts and, and we don't even know why, but we really enjoy each other's company. And it becomes an interesting um, friendship. But here, I want to go back to how do you then work with them, understanding how they have a conductorship and now set the priorities. We use some tools, um, but uh, perhaps you have some great tools, because if you're going to prioritize things, um, what's the ground rules for priority? And how can the folks who are our audience begin to say, I can use that? That's really helpful. thoughts." Okay. Classically,
1: we've all—I mean, many of us have worked with the Wheel of Life—and when you go through that, and we look at the different categories which you can change and modify, what is the the important things? And again, I've got a long story about what's important to you. When I think about those priorities, you look at things like job, family, spiritual, emotional, health, physical. The challenge that I have seen, and I've done a lot of intergenerational work, and I don't know if you had a chance to look at the the website I put together 10 years ago, the Millennial Project, millennialproject.co, shameless Uh, self-promotion. I put that together because a lot of my friends our age were having tremendous difficulty relating to millennials. And I thought they were the easiest people in the world to relate to. So (laughs) easy, they're young and they're open and there's new ideas. Yeah, they've got some different this and some different that. But when you look at Daniel Pink's work and what I said is you need to create a map, mastery, autonomy and purpose. So when you talk about what are the important things and how do we start to quantify or prioritize and figure out what's important that's a very personal decision but what it helps to have is those categories some people say everything is so important one of the the stories i tell is that everybody's <clears throat> plate is so full so i bring bigger plates i mean that's, it's so e- remember it's simple not easy but it's simple you mentioned something that i find fascinating wow. these days in the challenge of building a culture virtually, uh-huh. we don't have people coming into the office. How do we create cultures? And you and I have also talked about my what I call my service excellence commitment. This is a document that I would, before anybody even interviewed with me, they would have to read the 10 points about the non-negotiable issues that you must follow to be able to work here. And as they read down the page, I could see which ones made them react and go, whoa, or, oh, that's interesting. Because I've always said the second most important thing to me is you got to have fun at work. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to <clears throat> enjoy yourself and really commit and put yourself into it because you want to and you love it. It's a, we, we call it purpose now. Back then, I called it fun. <laughs> so we have to connect and say, OK, I like to do this. You and I have also talked about since we've had several conversations in the past, we've also talked about the importance of community. And I think that a lot of our problems in our world today is because of that lack of community. This this does not I'm holding up my cell phone. I can't have to see if you can see it. This is not community. This is, this is not a way that I call them disconnection devices, not connection devices. Yeah. Because I just think that everybody thinks, okay, I made that connection. There's really no connection. So I have been thinking a lot lately about how to, I have no answers for this, by the way, but I have been thinking a lot lately about how we can create this virtual culture. How can we connect people so they feel a part of something? And you've never, you may never have even met this person in person. Not everybody (laughs) is comfortable with that.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us, and we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways, whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls, and become the best that they could be. They heard things like, women aren't lawyers, and women can't lead, and women aren't in geosciences, and they said, of course we are, and they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose, and am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves. Very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. But if, in fact, uh, Judith Glazer's work on uh, WE, the WE Institute, is right. All of our days are conversations. Okay. And and we, we don't have the intimacy of hanging out with somebody and just casually talking and learning more about how their weekend was or their kids are doing. And we don't really have an ability to relate to them the way we had But let's assume that a hybrid workplace and a work life imbalance is going to be with us forever, and at least for the foreseeable, whatever that means. And and that means that we're going to have to find new cues and codes to these conversations so that we can mm, do what conversations are supposed to do, connect us. Humans are herd animals. You know, we evolved because we lived in groups, and it was in those groups that we shared stories, we shared culture, we shared ways of doing things, we knew who did what, and we were able to fend off the barbarians at our gates, and there have always been barbarians <laughs> there. And if they weren't human barbarians, they were bubonic plagues, or the, you know, the Black Death, or um, we never had... tuberculosis, uh, polio, yeah. Yeah, we've never had an easy time of it. Humans have always been under siege, one way or another, and, and so it's not... Um, while we think it's new news, it really isn't. The question now is our lifestyle has changed, but it's been changing for a long time. I had a client who let his folks do remote work as a benefit. Now they won't come back in the office and they're all saying, but you gave it us us as a benefit before and now you think it's a penalty box, we should come back in. And then they got COVID again so they pushed everybody back out again and it's been sort of this yin and yang back and forth and they said, you know, just relax. You know, we get the work done, we like each other, we talk to each other when we have to, and where we work is not a problem, except it is, it's not. And so there's a new autonomy that has gone from a benefit to a way of work to, oh, how are we going to know what we value? How are we gonna like people? I've been doing uh, leadership academies for a couple of clients, and I'm watching their emerging leaders trying to figure out how do I lead people in a remote workplace? And all of it is, for me, it's a great opportunity for learning new things because we're making it up. Absolutely. Um, for them, they'd love to go backwards, but they can't. I don't think that's ever going to come back the way it was exactly. I mean, I think you'll have live events and, and you may have, you know, Nashville having great music festivals and right. people will, uh, but, but the, the tension is is real. So going back to you and the way you help people do this Um, How do I mean? Do they embrace it? Are there some case studies you may want to share that could bring this to life?
1: Well, I think that it's quite the challenge because it reminds me of one of my first (laughs) consultants, and I was working with a a a company that actually filtered your blood, and they were it was a dialysis company, and I was working with thirteen engineers. And you want to talk about people who are trained to work like this and <laughs> cover their work up and not show you anything. I've worked with them. It is tough. Right. It's, it's tough. But when you ask them why they work that way and they answer, well, that's how we've always worked. And then you talk about engineering and how you, engineering can be a very creative field. And you get them to think about what they are actually doing is really creating. Yes. Let's say, oh well, maybe I could talk to somebody else about this. <laughs> but it's, it's, You That's said something that, that triggered me in that I've always told people, be careful what you give if in fact, at some point, you might have to take it away. Yeah. Now that you're allowed to work remotely, yeah, but now you got to come back in the office. <laughs> somebody, you give somebody that new dress and they love it, then you take it away from them. They don't like it so much anymore.
0: <laughs> well, but, but I mean, the, the give and take um, Adam Grant has a great book on givers and takers and how giving can drive success. It's like purpose driven. Um, that that that's so there. There's something very powerful about the gift of giving, of having purpose, of going past the tactical and practical into something that's a higher order. And right. as you're thinking about your wheel of life my hunch is that if you can begin to think about what really matters in the cost of a lifetime, what really matters, all of a sudden you can begin to figure out what matters in those priorities. We are, my husband and I went to Brussels a number of years ago now to get trained in innovation games. And we played a game there that I use often. It's called prune the product tree. So it plays off your prioritization. And if you build a product tree, it's always so fascinating to see what's on the trunk, what's on the roots, and what's on the trees, what's the leaves, what's the fruit. And I've had some clients that have had only a trunk and roots and didn't know what the benefits were. And then I've had those that have filled up the top, talked about a way of prioritizing, with the leaves and the fruit, and there was nothing to support it, much less a way to get some water or other nourishment up into it. The metaphor became a very powerful way when you then went and said, well, we can't do all of this. What shall we harvest and let's prune the product tree? And so it became an interesting way of taking business issues and making them come alive, not because they were on a spreadsheet, but because they were on a metaphor. And, And we love the metaphors. We play another one called build a better product box where you take a box and you have to build it with all kinds of images and crayons and all kinds of stuff and then tell us about this new box. And no, gosh, the creativity that comes from simply building an artificial fake box.
1: Absolutely. The question
0: is what sticks versus what's fun for the moment. But it becomes an interesting way of, of, and now your thoughts. Well, I find that
1: fascinating in the ability to ask somebody carefully, honestly, without prejudgment, what's important to you, life, business, family. And it gets back to the whole prioritization. And you asked what sticks. And we, honestly, I, I, I would have a hard time telling you what sticks for me. It would be impossible for me to tell you what sticks for you. So to come up with something in a non-threatening, non-performance enhancement kind of situation where if you tell me this, I'll think you're doing better because you're saying what I want to hear. Mm. But that's a cultural question. These are the answers. And the questions we need to ask about culture. I have a way of breaking culture down. It's a diagnostic I call my corporate CAT scan that breaks culture down into 12 different active areas of culture. Some are much better. Some are not so good. They are also more relevant at certain times in your organizational life cycle, which from a cultural perspective, we have to look at. And to be able to say these kinds of things to people and say, okay, where are you? Yes. Important to you is very hard. It's not something that's easy. You have to give people categories. You have to give them some some boxes to check or some choices to make. (laughs) The idea behind culture to me and I'm getting I'm, I'm talking about this because it's what's important. When I was talking about culture and being laughed at about it. I started to ask people, well, really, what kinds and where are you from a cultural perspective and what is it that's working? And then people say, what is culture? Oh, it's shared ideologies. It's shared philosophies. It's all that. And that's all. That's great. It's a bunch of hooah, but I think it's great. Culture to me, very, very, very simply put, is how it feels to work somewhere. Corporate culture I'm talking about. How does it feel when you do something good? How does it feel when you screw up? How does it feel when you make a big mistake? Do you have the freedom and the support of, hey, let's go out and try things. Let's go out and make some mistakes. Let's go out and do some things. How do you feel after it? And then we can talk about the emotional response, which I think comes from whether you're happy with something or you're not happy with something. That's an emotional response and that determines it. So I think it's challenging to really Categorize from the perspective of you asking me what's important, how do I lead that ship? I don't, I don't know. I like to come in and say, what are the tools you're working with? Who are the people you've got? One of the easiest ways to say it is I help you understand who needs to be doing what with whom by when. <laughs> it's one of my questions of <laughs> about 127 that I ask. But it's it's important. Is it true? Do you know who to go to for what and when? And is your job or is your life clearly defined clarified expectations i just had lunch with a young gal who was an office manager who worked in a a law firm that i was coaching and she told me it keeps coming back to me about clear expectations she just got a new job and they're throwing all this stuff at her and she's going back to her her direct report and saying i need help understanding this where is this in a hierarchy how important is this and her boss has said nobody's ever asked me that question before <laughs> clarify your expectations have the have the guts i can't think of any other word for it but have the bravery and the ability and the permission to say i don't understand
0: that yep without feeling you're at risk it's without feeling you're at risk exactly One of the areas that's very hot for us today are mergers and acquisitions because there were so many roll-ups. And um, so we had done some work for Cleveland Clinic to better understand the cultures of the hospitals they were acquiring because they all wanted them to become part of the Cleveland Clinic culture. The only problem was that was going through change. But what becomes very clear is aardvarks and giraffes don't do well together. You can't make them and hope something living comes out of it. But that's where the power of culture, the essence of who you are. Culture is really the essence of who you are. The reason you can't change it easily is you're not really reflective about what it is you're doing, what you believe in, the stories you share. And that's you. You, you. That's right. It's you. And it's not just the clothes you put on. It's the behavior. It's the, it's the nuances. It's what you, We're mimics. So humans learn from each other. They watch what someone else does, and that's how they know what's good or what's not. And then they watch their leaders, and they see what they do and what's good. But if we're monkeys, and we are, and we look at others so we know how to perform, and then you mash two together, and oh my gosh, the conflict is severe. And you're seeing roll-up after roll-up now, and those private equity guys are having a field day, rolling them up. But the people inside are having a mess of a time trying to figure out what matters. What sequence? What's my priorities? So you must be a busy guy. A question for you. As we're looking at our time, it was like to have our interviewee, which is you, tell the audience two or three things you don't want them to forget. Let's give them some guides so that they can leave saying, I like that. I'm going to try it. Some things to share.
1: Well, let me give you a couple of quotes. One of my favorite quotes is that organizations have developed a functional blindness to their own defects. They <laughs> aren't suffering because they can't solve their problems. They're suffering because they can't see their
0: problems. Gotcha.
1: That's great. Right. Thank you we talked about mergers and acquisitions. A merger is like a marriage. It is. What you do, what you see is largely what you get. So you better look very, very carefully at the issues, the structure, sometimes the strategy. It reminds me of when Ford bought Volvo. And Ford was a very top-down... Hierarchical organization. Hierarchical, command and control organization. And Volvo was, hey, guys, bring your ideas to us. This is really great. You got a a new idea that's created. Volvo is responsible for something like, 60% of all automotive safety features over the history of automobiles. It's amazing when you think of it, all the car companies, 60%. So when you talk about mergers and acquisitions, what I would say is you need to look very, very carefully at each organization. And when you identify the two types of cultures and the dominant cultures in those organizations, then you can think of coming up with a third organizational culture. You can't always do this. They don't always blend. No. So you have to come up with something that works and it may work in different areas and it may work in different components with different parts of an organization.
0: But whether you define it and design it or not, humans will make it up. So just be aware that regardless of what you think you would like to see happen, you know, this hierarchical organizations can become far more egalitarian and, and very innovative or very collaborative and more market driven. I've worked with some that are just interesting collaborations that are trying to be more top down, most interesting. But people will make up a solution that fits them, regardless of what you're envisioning. So if you don't take charge of it, then you're out of control with it in right. my right?
1: Well, what do we say? Nature abhors a void. I mean, yes. it'll fill it'll fill that void with something. Right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, those are great. Um, as you're thinking about our wrap-up here, if they would like to reach you for some consulting work or other kinds of coaching and support, where can they get a hold of you?
1: Well, the email is pretty simple. It's todd at managementinsight, I-N-I-S-I-G-H-T dot C-O, not dot com. That'll go to some organization in Great Britain. <laughs> uh, Matt, the website is managementinsight.co. So that that would be the initial piece of it, but if people really want to get a deeper understanding of where they are and what's working and how to leverage and make that better, that's what I like to do. I, you know, we used to call consultants uh, efficiency consultants, and their job was to come in and fire people. I never <laughs> did that well. It help people understand who's working, what's working about them, how can we engage. How can we build that community? How can we get a better result without slash and burn methodology, which is how it really used to be?
0: Well, but it can't be anymore because there's a talent shortage. And you better keep the ones who matter. uh, The flywheel, what is it, 30% of people think they're going to leave their job. And there's so much sense that I could walk from anywhere. That I'm going to find a place that wants me the way I want to be, not the way they want to be. Right. And independence. And it's not just uh, millennials or the Gen Zs. It's everybody. Everybody's all of a sudden coming to that aha moment, which says, ah, I can do it my way. So I'm.
1: Do you really think there's a talent shortage or do you think accessing talent is the challenge? I think that there's a lot of really talented people out there.
0: Well, I'm not sure those are that different, because there was a third of the workforce before the pandemic that was in the gig economy. And they required a whole lot of support to get to the right places for the right purposes. And I'm not sure HR people were recruiting wisely. And so (laughs) uh, you you can have all kinds of stuff. And now you have a great pressure on diversity and and inclusion. And and, uh, it's an interesting question. And we should hold that for our follow-up podcast about how do you access the talent you need in a time where they're not walking through the door. And you yeah. got to go find them and in very different ways. And it's um it's going to be an HR challenge to rethink the way we recruit, we retain, we develop, and 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 we live. Because if if that much of the workforce is now gig, and and I can't tell you what gig means, but but they, they're not employed, uh, but they are employed, but they're not employed your way. And sometimes they're employed in different ways, some stick some don't, but it's an interesting time. I'm gonna let us wrap up. Yeah, our, our audience usually says about thirty minutes is enough, and we've been chatting for that long. I can't thank you enough, Todd Wheeler. It's been great for our audience. Thank you for coming. I hope you liked our mm, comfortable home here. It's been fun chatting, and this is the world of virtual. I was reading a futurist article about how people like the virtual better than the real, and that tells you something about human and, and the changes that are coming. Thank you.
1: Where we are, yeah, our culture. Yeah.
0: The avatars, the games that we play, the do-overs are making life very interesting. It's no longer a thing. It's this online thing. Uh, In any event, you know where to reach me. Send me your your emails to info at andysimon.com. Now, remember, my books are out there waiting for you, and they are really great reads. The reviews have been terrific. Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. I will testify to that. Well, and my my buddy here is a great fan and I truly appreciate that. Our program On the Break with Andy, pardon me, Rethink Your Journey with Andy Simon is out there for us to help you really change the way you live in your life for the better. And um, we'll be coming out with more programs to help you do just that. So I've always enjoyed these podcasts. Come to us every Monday because we love to share great people like Todd with you and help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can soar. It's time to get off the break. Have a great day. Bye-bye now.